broadcasting from beautiful, tropical Vero Beach, Florida. It's Money Nation with Ed Gardner. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Today we got special guest Joe Cunningham from Worldview Capital on the phone today. Joe, how are you? Yeah, pretty good, Ed. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. A couple of interesting topics we're talking about today, but uh, one of them I was driving home on the uh, highway from Lake George, and it might have been NPR or something, but they're talking about college and specifically women in college and the percentage of what they make up of college, which I, I don't know, Joe. I thought it was maybe 50-50, basically, in some of those lines, but they were saying that the women in college in some schools are up to, I think the average was 60% to 40, something like that, or 58 to 62, uh, it's, it's amazing how women are making up a large part of educated graduates. What's your thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, uh, it, well, my thought is it's unfortunate, um, to be sure. I mean, it almost seems, and I don't mean to get socially, it, it, you know, too deep in it, but like a war against men. You know, they really promoted um, the Title IX and the um, uh, leveling the playing field uh, for women, and they should have. That was uh, correct. But, I mean, it, it, the pendulum swung too far one way and then too far back the other way. You know, so we need to find a balance there. And I'm sure that, you know, like I got a uh, uh, son of 16. This is kind of an opportunity for him because there will be schools that will look at those numbers and say we've got to bring in, we got be, we have to become more attractive to the male that are applying to our universities. So by and large, um, I'll give you an example. UCLA uh, created 3,000 new slots for uh, students uh, about two years ago. 90% were taken up by women, okay? So they, they, went, they saw there was an issue. They went out and addressed it, and then their solutions that just kind of shot themselves in the foot didn't achieve what they had they'd hope to achieve. For me, personally, I, I've all but given up on uh, the elite private schools. You know, they're, they're a fancy handbag uh, in society. They're, they're, they're meaningless. They're not doing their job. They're not getting a, um, uh, any um, uh, traction in terms of the greater societal um, uh, educational platform. But the, the state university system, the land-grant schools in particular, is your Michigan's, Ohio State, Washington, you know, UCLA, those hold great hope uh, for social policy and, and for, uh, you know, the gender dynamics. It's not just about, you know, your pronoun preference. It's got to be a little bit more gravitas to it. And, um, you know, it used to be the boys were always in engineering and other such things, and girls were doing something else, English, or, uh, and that's flipped um, uh, as well. I mean, the girls are in engineering and pre-med and you know, the more difficult academic, uh, more rigorous academic uh, disciplines. And the boys are kind of fluffing off a little bit, too. So, you know, there, there's a lot going on there. Well, they said, you know, like they talked about in the, in the, uh, in the interview, you know, boys are necessarily not always good learners. There are some are ADHD. They run around. They, they, are, they, they don't focus in class and things like that. You know, it's, at the same time, you've had this big focus on getting rid of vocational skills in schools. And there was uh, something I was looking at, Nation of Risk. This is back in 1983, and they talked about the perceived decline in academic pre preparation. American students are scoring low in international scores. But the, the old thought back then, Joe, was that 
vocational education in high school deters capable students from college and prepares them for dead-end jobs. Now, I think that's dead wrong. Uh, there, there's a shortage in masons and electricians and plumbers. And if you think about oh. it, 90% of all millionaires in the United States are small business owners. So a lot of those guys who, who are smart enough have the entrepreneurial you know, spirit behind them when they go from one truck to five or eight trucks, you know, they become millionaires with a plumbing business, electrical, uh, all kinds of different businesses. So it's interesting how uh, they, they, I think they're getting back to that. But even, I think even that's in the last couple of years, still been a decline in vocational. They can't find, can't find masons, can't find plumbers. Well, what's your thoughts on that, Joe? Well, it's not just the building trades, but you're absolutely right. My, so my son has a split day. He goes uh, part of the day to regular high school, does four classes, and he does the second half of the day at a Votech. But his Votech is computer science and programming. And that was really what he was interested in. And we felt, okay, well, that sounds like a better use of your time than sitting through, um, you know, a, another math class or a study period or something like that. And that really seems to resonate with him. Um, so it's not just the, uh, the building trades, uh, as it were, but now it's, uh, you know, they've expanded it. Now, I will say that our local community college is recognized as one of the, the better ones in the community college system, and he'll likely uh, gain some college credits uh, through the, this program. He's a junior. Uh, but it's been interesting for us to see how they've expanded uh, the offering and how, you know, there, before there might have been, one bus going over that was half full. Now there's two buses going over every day that are full. So people are um, gravita gravitating towards that. I'd also like to say, Ed, that at the university system, there's a lack of apprenticeships. Uh, and as, you know, full disclosure, Ed and I went to the same university, uh, Northeastern University, has a co-op program. Uh, Northeastern University's co-op program gets you those internships. They get you prepared for the workplace. Well, we had a lot of people before they graduated, you know. It worked out well yeah, for a lot of people. Totally. You know, I was a uh, registered broker um, and worked at Fidelity and uh, Citibank uh, in college, you know. And um, as, you, as you may recall, there, certainly the ratio of women to men was less favorable back then when we were brokers in college. <laughs> so they had to work a little hard. Yeah, so... I, but uh, it, it, I, think I think there's going to be a, um, a shift is in the whole education platform towards that apprenticeship uh, model, it, you know, so famously um, executed in, in Germany and some other countries around Europe that get people the skill sets they need. Because the other side of that is the employers aren't paying to give you that skill set. It, you know, the, the, the top, top people get into those training programs and get an opportunity to you know, get up the curve. There used to be back in, you know, the 50s and 60s what we called blue-collar intellectuals, right? These were well-read factory workers and, and um, uh, you know, blue-collar workers who were striving to get up into the middle and upper middle class, and they, they achieved it. That, that kind of stopped around, you know, in the, in the 80s, and everybody strived to go to, a, you know, a name-brand uh, handbag. I'm, I'm sorry, name-brand university because uh, they're about the same thing. And, uh, you know, we, we, we lost our way. So hopefully we'll, we'll find our, our way back on a, the, the side of the angels. 
And if you take into consideration cost of college, too, for students who have to pay their own way and take the loans out, you factor all that in versus getting a good job in uh, any type of vocational, working yeah. immediately or soon after, and not uh, building up all that debt versus, and then what they end up making down the road and paying the debt back, There's it's a big... Uh, it's a big burden for a lot of people. And, and, and the college education might have done great things for you in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but when everyone had a college education, it doesn't do so much for you. You know what I mean? It does, but it, it, you're, when everyone has one, it's not as, not as special, I don't think, and not as uh, not. helpful. We see a lot of people today trying to get jobs, their college education, no jobs. You know, it seems like there's yeah. a lot of j- certain jobs, but not a lot of other jobs. And that goes to the case against free higher education. Now, you don't want it to have it exorbitantly expensive as it became. And those kids, that uh, those Gen Z kids, they got screwed. They, they just did. Um, while the administration grew and paid themselves, the kids bore the, the brunt of that or their parents or whoever was guaranteeing those loans, right? Uh, right? Now, what they could do, very simply, is they could repeal the 2005 uh, education Act that made it uh, impossible for these kids to discharge their student debt in bankruptcy or to even negotiate the student debt to lower rates in, uh, with their bank. So if you have a student debt now, you can't go to your bank and say, oh, look, I'm paying 12.5%. I need a lower rate. The you know, average rate for new cars is 4%. Why don't you give me something in between? You, know, you can't do that. So these kids get so – so I put it on the bank as much as I put it on the administration and the colleges. And, and the taxpayers shouldn't have to bear that burden for bailing out these students. The banks should, because they've been gouging them all along. And that 2005 legislation, that was bank-driven, 100%. And it was bipartisan-supported. Democrats and Republicans supported it, and it needs to go away. It's still, it's still out there, you're saying? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it doesn't even come up. Now they talk about... You know, uh, forgiveness of debt. But it's not about forgiving the debt. It's about being able to manage your debt. You know, if you went to your bank and you were having trouble making, you know, your house payment, you might get some type of forbearance, right? They'll give you a, give you a break for a couple of times. Maybe the, you can refinance. They've been doing a lot of federal taxes. They have forgiveness. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. So, Ed, I wanted just to shift here for a minute more economics, and I, I love the, the, uh, the education uh, discussion because I'm right in it. You know, my daughter graduated uh, from college this year, uh, thankfully debt-free, uh, and with a new car, I might add. But we are, you know, we're about to experience this with my son. Not so sure he's going to get the car. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, today, it, you know, we had the CPI data up today, right? And... Um, yeah. You know, we've been waiting on that month out, month out and uh, I'm, I'm proposing a new uh, a, a new drinking game, Ed, and I think you you'd like this one. So every time you hear the word transitory as it relates to inflation, you take a drink. Okay, your your day will go pear shaped and wobbly very quickly. I, I assure you, because that's all everybody is talking about is the transitory inflation. Inflation is always transitory. It it, it doesn't just come and go, it moves on. Sometimes it, it stops because the 
the Fed has tampered demand. Sometimes it stops because the consumers have overspent. Okay, but inflation is going to stop. And this one is going to run its course and it's going to eventually reach a sunset and, and start to um, um, start to tamper down. We may or may not have seen a little of that today. The indicators I look at, they've hardly moved since the last time we spoke. You know, bonds are 1.3% the 10-year. The, uh, the five-year tips, which I follow, are 2.5%. They're all about the same. Dollar, you know, it's been doing okay. The stock market continues to chug along, doesn't it? So yes. what I do is at the end of every month is we look globally at the indices, in particular the MSCI, which is um, uh, a global country index of 45 different countries, and you can slice that up in a number of different ways, and it gets a little more nuanced look at what's happening. But the U.S. is still, you know, leading the world um, to a degree. Uh, Europe had a slightly better month in August than uh, the U.S., but year-to-date, uh, Europe's up 21%. The U.S. is up 20.9%. So, you know, those are big gains. And um, it certainly makes um, the case for being fully invested uh, in the stock market. So let's just spin that back around to what's happening with inflation and the bond market. Okay? Joe, let's just hold on. Hold that thought for one second. We're going to take a quick break here. Sure. Uh, every. Remember, listeners, any questions at all about your portfolio of any time, you can always feel free to give me an email at edgardner at cutterco.com, or you can always feel free to give me a call at 518-255-8854. We'll be right back. All opinions expressed by Ed Gardner and or his guests on the Money Nation show are solely Ed Gardner's and or his guests' opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cutter & Company or any of their affiliates. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Ed Gardner and our guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only in as an expression of their opinion. Ed Gardner's and his guests' opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither Cutter & Company nor affiliates and or subsidies warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Always talk to your financial advisor before making such decisions. Welcome back to Money Nation. Joe, so the, the inflation number, was it 4%, pretty tame number? Uh, that's right. Well, uh, no, uh, it was uh, uh, it, we were expecting 4%. We came in just a little bit below that. Uh, uh, on the year-on-year number would be 5.3%, which was down, but the, the monthly inflation number was up 0.3% versus an expected 0.4%. So, you know, splitting hairs a bit, but there you have it. So what, what's your feelings about that? Uh, the, the number seems pretty tame, but... I think, didn't we hear that rents were up a lot? Rents, uh, people are oh, they moving back yeah. to cities, that pushing rents up. So that's really inflation for people. And rent, what was the rents up? And did you say New York City were up 17%? Or was that a nationwide number? That was a nationwide survey from a builder. And, and what we saw was uh, as uh, uh, leases ran off, when you go to sign your new lease, you're getting a bit of a sticker shot, and they're going up substantially. So a couple of things. You know, there's a shortage of quality housing for sure. And uh, as much building as we see, they're still not building them fast enough where they need to be built, say in California or Pennsylvania, New York, wherever uh, that may be. So uh, as those old leases run off through the pandemic and the the whole um, moratorium on on evictions and things like that, we're, we're seeing a substantial increase in the new leases. Now, that will start to translate through the economy 
Um, and it will take some time. So, you know, leases are annual things. You don't sign a new lease every month. So as these things run off, we'll start to see that uptick in uh, expenses. And, look, you know, generally speaking, you know, I shop, uh, you shop. Uh, think price, prices seem up a bit, you know, definitely. Uh, gas is done okay. Um, I think the oil price of oil is over $70 a barrel, but the price of gas by me is under $3. So that's a little bit of a disconnect. I would have expected it to be a bit higher, but um, there you have it. So we're starting to see, and you'll see more building, uh, apartment building in particular, to, to meet that demand and meet the, the um, you know, you're in a low interest rate environment to meet the demand, borrow the money, get the house built or get the apartments built and, and uh, you know, make a, make a run of it. Um, so that's going to start to work its way through. And what we saw with the Cleveland Fed, that's a, a component of the Federal Reserve System, they have an annual inflation rate, and they're pretty rock solid on this. Uh, in other words, you can't talk them off the ledge, of 7%. So 7% is quite a bit higher than the Fed target, higher than the 5% year-on-year. And again, we're, we're comparing a trough year, 2020, with a more normalized year, 2021. So there's some disconnect there. A little odd of a number, right? So, because yeah, of that reason, a little bit off. But you know, they have a uh, a pretty good track record at the Cleveland Fed, and you know, we'll we'll have to see how how that goes. But I wanted just to circle back um, before the break. We were we were talking um, uh, not just the uh, transitory drinking game, but how that would uh, inflation might uh, translate through the um, uh, the economy to the bond market and some of these stickier. Uh, pricing elements, including the housing market and the rental market, for example. So what we'll see, I think, later in the year is the bond markets start to recognize some of these inflationary elements, uh, like rent, rents or uh, general cost uh, increases, and start to react negatively. So when the bond market reacts negatively, it sells off in price and the yield goes up. So right now the yield is at 1.3%. And we could expect to see that start to rise. Now, this can happen very quickly, and it can be almost a bit of a shock. If, say, yields went from, let's say they'd start to perk up to 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, and all of a sudden one day, one Monday in October, let's say, ring the distant bell, uh, the bond market sells off and yields spike up, the stock market would get creamed, just get hammered. And that day's out there, uh, I think. And it may not be in October, and it may not be in December, but it's coming. You know, we're going to have a, uh, uh, that uh, Fibonacci 10% correction in equities at some point here by the end of the first quarter, 2022, I believe. Anyways, that's, uh, that's what we're looking at, and that's where, how we feel that uh, uh, some of these elements are going to start to translate through. Because, I, you know, like a lot of people, I've been waiting to buy more equities. And equities, as I just pointed out, they're up 20% this year pretty good deal, right? But you, yeah, know, you keep wondering, where should I get in? What stock should I buy? And that's your expertise, Ed. You're, you're the man for that. But it's sticky out there. You know, valuations are high. We're just wondering. Well, let's go for a couple questions for listeners here. I mean, you got rents. It's hard to find a place. You can't find a place in Vero Beach, Florida, especially for the winter. They just come down for January, February, March. There's, there's very, very little inventory. If you want to buy a house, They've, they've shot up so much. What, do you, what, what's, what are your thoughts on uh, buying right now in this market, or do you wait? Uh, well, what do you, what do you feel? Does Joe Cunningham feel about this? 
So if you if you feel that there's going to be some inflation in the pipeline, you buy equities and you buy a house, you buy property, right? They're your best property for sure is your best insulation from inflation. So you know what we've seen in a property market, obviously, is you know if you're a homeowner, this prices have gone up substantially. They can go higher. Uh, they can go higher because again, and this goes back. 15 years, you know, Harvard did this landmark study in like 2005 that there's going to be a, a generational shortage of housing, and they were right for a change. So, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that now, and the, um, um, you know, the builders can't build fast enough, although we have seen the price of lumber come off a little bit recently, which I thought was interesting. Um, because they, they, So that's the market responding to the demand from last year for lumber, and we have seen it come off uh, the price per board foot how they, we measure that, which I thought was, was uh, telling. Uh, but we will see more um, construction. And uh, I think that, uh, again, you know, if you like, and location matters, if you like uh, or if you believe the inflation um, scenarios, then, you know, stay in equities and, and uh, buy a second home. But <laughs> that sounds like a good idea to me, Joe. That sounds like a good idea to it me. To me. Joe, let's talk about the quad but, summit coming up. You got a, you got ah, a big summit one of happening my favorites. here. Is it, uh, end of the month. Geopolitical yes. junkie. Um, this one, I think, went under the radar. And what's happening, and this relates to Afghanistan as well. So U.S. pulls out of Afghanistan quickly, ugly, and, but they're out. The U.S. has effectively quit the Middle East. We've had enough falafels. We're done. We're going home. We're pivoting very much to Asia Pacific. So what's happening in the end of the month, September, is there's a summit. And they don't call it a summit. They're calling it a meeting. It's a summit between India, Australia, and uh, Japan. So the prime ministers of those three countries are coming over to Washington, and they're going to hash out a strategy to counter what's happening in China, which is interesting because just as they're doing this, China's kind of shooting themselves in the foot, right? <laughs> So we're working on uh, seeing, you know, what particulars they're going to be, uh, will go into that. But, you know, for sure, uh, part of that will be, you know, the military presence in the U.S. and how the bases are uh, apportioned. And India being kind of the linchpin for the consumer, you know, what can happen internally in India where you have a, you know, the, the internal uh, politics in India are always, you know, tricky, and I know India well, uh, to see how they can stimulate consumer-driven demand for Western goods. There's consumer demand in India, but it's for Indian goods. You know, they, they're not like the Chinese that were aspiring to have a BMW. You know, they're, they're, yeah, they have their own making model. They have the Ambassador, 1950s design. It's a nice one. <laughs> so, so that's going to be interesting to see um, – uh, how that, and that fits with going back to the Obama administration, how they were pivoting, you remember that word, pivoting to Asia. Well, it takes time for, you know, uh, a superpower to pivot. And this is part of that pivot. So that's, um, what that, that's one of the things what, what, I, I thought was pretty interesting. Just want to stay on the Fed for one minute because there is one other aspect that's going on in play here. It's like Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, is up for reappointment. Usually, its it's term expires like in February, sometime late January or early February. But usually, they make that appointment well in advance, so the market has, you know, time to react. And um, uh, there's a transition period if needed. And it's not clear that Biden's going to reappoint Powell. And I think he's done a pretty good job. I do. 
um, and they have a path forward to taper the, uh, the bond buying program and the mortgages they've been buying. And part of that housing market is that the Fed is just buying the crap out of the housing market. You know, so the bank makes the loan, Fed buys the loan, right? Bank now has more money to make loans. Um, so we'll see. Um, the, there's uh, the Democrats, the whole left part of the party, the AOC. Who, did you see her dress last night at the Met Gala, which has run its course, by the way? That thing is. I, mi- I missed that, Joe. Yeah, it, she had on her dress embroidered "Tax the Rich." Right? Okay, not helpful. But um, that, that that Met Gala just needs to go away. It's grotesque at this point. But anyways, that, that, that enough of that. So they're they're angling for somebody that's going to really put money into or, or policy into climate change. And the way they would do that is that the Fed would encourage banks to do uh, carbon audits and to divest from polluting companies and things like that. Could get, you know, could uh, industrial policy, uh, right? So I'd like to see Biden uh, reappoint Powell, and I think he will, uh, because he's a steady hand. And, and Powell is an interesting character. He, he was uh, central bank uh, member in Israel and the United States, which you don't find often. So he's got a global view on on these things, and he's a dual citizen, much like I am. But you know, for my Irish American citizenship, I can qualifies me to bartend in both Ireland and the U.S. So you know, I can't, can't be a Fed. Day. <laughs> That's not bad, right? So, so we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll see how the Biden administration goes uh, with that, but there'll, there'll be some in the policy circles and, and some of these things that I uh, associate with. Well, there'll be um, some be pretty heated debate on it. It'll be interesting. Definitely. Joe, thank you very much for being with us today on Money Nation. Great talking to you as, you, as always, and we'll uh, we'll check in. Uh, I'm sure very very shortly, and we'll see how these inflation numbers uh, shake out here over the next uh, next couple months, next couple quarters. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Ed. Thank you for having me. And remember the transitory drinking game. You, 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 you've educated us well here today, Joe. <laughs> uh, remember, <laughs> listeners, any questions about your portfolio at all, always feel free to give me a call at 518-255-8854. And you can always email me at edgardner at cuttercoco.com. Remember, all old previous interviews, you can go to YouTube and just search YouTube Money Nation. Thanks for everyone for being with us on Money Nation. Have a good day.